Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6 this morning. And uh, as you turn in there, let me just give you a little bit of background of what's going on. This is after the Israelites have already uh, taken over the promised land. Uh, they, they've gone in there, they've, they've conquered the land, and uh, after a while they decided to set up a king in the land, which again, it wasn't God's plan, but they did it anyways. They had King Saul, and he started off good, and things went bad, so God gave the kingdom over to David. And, and David, he was, he was pretty good. He had his warts, he had things that didn't go so well, but overall he did a pretty good job. He passed it off to his son Solomon, and he was, he was, I mean, he was great. He was doing a great job. Trajectory was good, but then the end of his life, he just messed everything up. The kingdom ended up splitting up into two. You had the southern kingdom of Judah. You had the northern kingdom of Israel. And so now we've got all these kings. You've got southern kings. You've got northern kings. And Israel is just like on this roller coaster of following God. I mean, one king, it was like, yeah, we're going to go all out for God. And the next king, it's we're going to rebel against God. And it was more the downs than the ups in that time. And uh, when we get to this point, we see in 2 Kings chapter 6, there was one of those kings that was more on the down than the up. And so since there wasn't a spiritual leader, the king wasn't necessarily the spiritual leader at that time, there was a man of God, there was a prophet. And we see at this time, uh, the prophet, the man of God is Elisha, who, who's leading the way spiritually for them. He was the spiritual advisor to the king. And during this time, there would be many times where Elisha would come to the king, and their biggest enemy right now is the Syrian army. The Syrian army is constantly trying to attack them, constantly trying to take over the capital city of Samaria. They're, they're setting ambushes left and right. And Elisha would hear from God, and he'd go up to the king, and he'd tell him, hey, don't go here this day because there's an ambush coming for you. And so the king would change paths with the army, and they, they would move around. And the king of Syria never was successful in any of those ambushes. Finally, one day, the king of Syria, he just got upset. He's like, who's the traitor in my camp? Who's telling them all of our battle plans? And they're like, it's not us. It's that guy named Elisha. He hears from God. He tells the king, and the king avoids us. So the king had a great plan. He said, you know what? Instead of attacking Israel, let's attack the man of God. Let's take down Elisha. If we stop him, we can stop the whole kingdom. So they, they muster the whole army against Elisha. They go to his house. They have him surrounded. It's like one or two versus thousands. And all of a sudden, they didn't realize, but God was on Elisha's side. And, and God blinded the entire army. It's kind of a comical story. He goes out, and he guides the whole army. They're like, who are you looking for? Elisha. You know, he kind of pulls that Bugs Bunny thing, you know, like, oh, does he have long ears like this and a fluffy tail like this? Nope, never heard of him, right? And, and so he takes the army. Let me show you. Let me bring you to Elisha. And he brings them into their capital city where they're surrounded. God unblinds them, and they're conquered. The enemy's conquered. But Elisha's a nice guy. And so he, he has mercy on him. He says, no, feed him, send him on their way. And he, he sends him out the Syrian army. Another time, a captain, a commander of their army comes to him because he's got leprosy. He's got this disease. And, and Elisha has mercy on him. And, and God gives him the grace to heal this, this army. So several times, Elisha has helped the king evade attack from the Syrian army. And several times, he's blessed the Syrian army and given them grace. And that's where we, we are when we pick up with 2 Kings chapter 6, starting with verse 24 this morning. It says this, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cob 
of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. So here, repeatedly, Israel had shown kindness to this army of Syria. But yet, Syria kept attacking and kept attacking. And this time, they decided instead of wasting our soldiers, instead of wasting our army, we're going to besiege the city. We're going to surround it. We're going to cut off all of its resources. We're going to dry out its water supply. We're going to cut off its food supply. And uh, we're not going to send people to go over the wall. We're not going to send people through the gates. We're just going to surround it and cut it off and wait until they dry up, wait until they have no more food, until they have no more water. And they're going to willingly come out and surrender or just die in the city. So they besieged the city. And it said that the people of Samaria grew desperate. They grew desperate. I mean, they didn't have any food left. They didn't have anything. So they started eating things that we wouldn't today consider food. It said that uh, they started eating donkey's heads. That sounds terrible. But even worse than that, it started, they, they started eating dove's dung. Like, don't sign me up for that, right? And they then were not only eating it, but they were paying way over price for these things. Now, I've watched a lot of Bear Grylls in my life, right? And he goes out and he eats these crazy things. And I think if I was ever on a trip with him... There would be a point where I'd be like, no, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to eat that crazy bug that you just got. Like, that looks disgusting. I think I'm just going to choose to die, right? <laughs> I'd, I'd reach that point. And there were some people in Samaria who were just on the same lines like, guys, this isn't worth it. We're, we're to this point of desperation, and, and we can't handle it anymore. Maybe some of you this morning, you're in a desperate place, or you've been in a desperate place, or you've been in a in a dry place. It doesn't have to be you're desperate for food, but it could be for a lot of different things that you're, you're desperate for this morning that you just, you need more of. You know, maybe right now you're just feeling like God isn't speaking to you. Every day it feels like you're praying and you're going to him, but you just don't have that feeling anymore. You just haven't heard from God and, and you feel like you're in this desperate place. You feel like you're in this, this dry place and you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to fix it. Or maybe you're in a desperate place this morning because the relationships around you are crumbling, right? Everybody you go to, to your family, you know, maybe your relationship with your parents or, or, or with a spouse or with your kids, they just feel like they're crumbling and, and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to mend that relationship. And it feels like you just can't trust anybody anymore with friends that you have and just relationships around you are, are just crumbling and it leaves you in a desperate place. Maybe finances are running low. Right, and you look at that checkbook, and it just that bank account. It looks like it just it, there's not enough zeros anymore. There's not enough safety net anymore. I don't know if I'm going to be able to to pay the bills anymore, or how I'm going to uh, get through with that next rent check. Maybe this morning you're just feeling like you got a lack of purpose. You wake up every day, and you just don't know like what's the point. What am I supposed to do with my life? And and you're just in a dry and a desperate place. That's kind of the place that Samaria was in. This capital city, this stronghold, they were in a desperate place. And at first look, it was bad. And if you look a little closer, it was even worse than you thought. If you keep reading there, it said one day the, the king went out and he walked the walls. They had these big walls around, plenty of space. They were thick. And so he's walking the walls and he's got his, his priestly robes on. right? Or his, not his priestly, his kingly robes on. He, he, he's got all this fancy. And it gave the people confidence. 
you know, he got up there and he could see the enemy. He saw, you know, is there any break in their defenses today? Is there any way we can get something in? He could survey the whole city and just see how everybody was doing. And, and when people saw the king, they thought, you know, it might be bad, but the king is still in charge. The king is still on the throne. The king is still dressed nicely. We are going to follow him. And then as he's walking the wall that day, he runs into a woman and this woman stops him and begins to share her story of what's going on. Now, you've got to remember, this was... Uh, a city that wasn't following God. Elisha was their spiritual leader, but the, the king wasn't following God. The rest of the city really wasn't following God. It was, it was a depraved place. And, and this woman shared with the king, she said, we've gotten so desperate that we've had to start eating our children. Like literally they reverted to cannibalism. I mean, that's how desperate they were. And, and at that news, it says that the king tore his robes and he put on sackcloth, this dry, itchy stuff, to say that he was in mourning. And now all of a sudden the people looked up and they didn't see the king who is confident in charge. Now they saw a king who had lost all hope, who, who was in despair. And the whole city began to just break down. The whole city lost all hope that day. And I've noticed when people are in a desperate place, they respond in one of two ways. You can either run to God or you can run away from God. Right? Those are kind of the only two options. You either run towards God when you're in a desperate place or you run away from God. And so I want to take a look at how the king responded in verse 31 of chapter 6. It says this, and he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. So the king responded. He didn't run to God. He ran away from God. And he said, you know, I, I don't know how to make war against God, but the best way I know how is to make war against the man of God. So I'm going to go to the house of Elisha, and we are going to take him down because God has not provided for us. Now, I find this interesting because here's the king, and time and time again, God has saved him. I mean, he's rescued him from the same army. He, he's, he's delivered this army into his hands. He, he's helped him to avoid this army. So time and time again, he's avoided this army, but now all of a sudden... He forgot that God rescued him, and he gave up hope that God could rescue him again. And not only did he give up hope, but he became angry. And he said, if God's not going to rescue me, then I'm going to go and attack God. And so he sent uh, a servant to Elisha's house to take him down. So church, remember this. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what God has done in your life. The king forgot. He forgot of all the ways God had delivered him, but I challenge you, don't forget, remember what God has done in your life. It's so crucial. It's so crucial. And this is something I try to do every single day. I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying, and it's something you can apply to your life too. Uh, every day when I pray, every time when I pray, I try to start off my prayers by thanking God. It's really easy to do, but it's a great habit. Spend time thanking God. Get really specific. You know, tell Him, God, thank you for those times when I thought... For, for that time when I didn't have money and someone blessed me and I was able to make that bill. God, thank you for the time I didn't have food on the table, but you provided. God, thank you for providing me with a, a car to get to work every day. Thank you for providing me with a job. You know, and just take that beginning time of your prayers just to thank God. Because it's going to do two things. Number one, it gives glory to God. Because he deserves it. There's, I mean, you could spend your whole lifetime thanking him and you'd never run out of things to thank him for. So, it gives glory to God. And number two, it helps you remember. It helps you to remember and build your faith and build your confidence. If God has done it before, he can do it again. If God's done it before, he can do it again. And that's something the king forgot. He forgot about those times that God had come through him before. And he lost hope that God could do it 
again. God can do it again. So we need to keep that confidence. But again, the king forgot all those times, and so he sent his servant, uh, the, a commander in his army, sent him down to Elisha's house uh, to, to take him out. And Elisha, again, man of God, God showed him, hey, there's somebody here coming to kill him. Shut the door. So Elisha barricaded the door, and, and the commander, he, he knocks on the house, and, and it says this in verse 33. It says, the messenger came down to Elisha and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait any longer, or why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, get this, this is his response. It says, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, this is Elisha talking, but he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So Elisha told him basically when he came and, and said, hey, why isn't God coming through? Uh, this is wrong. We can't trust you anymore. Elisha said, just wait. Today you might be fighting over garbage, but tomorrow you are going to be feasting on the finest foods, and it's going to be pennies on the dollar. Like, it's going to be easy. It's going to be cheap prices, right? So you'd think this would be great news, that they would be excited, like, all right, we're going to do this. But instead, the captain said that, that even if God poured out all of heaven, even if he poured out all of heaven on us, that there's no way it could happen again. He said, my situation is too desperate. My situation is too desperate, and in that moment, he doubted God. He doubted that God would do it, and he doubted that God could do it. I don't think God's going to come through for me. I don't think God's capable of coming through for me. Ever been in that situation before where you just felt like your circumstances were too big for God? Like there was just, God, how can you do this? God, it's impossible. I find it interesting. He, he talked about even if God opened up the windows of heaven, right? Even if God opened them up and everything came rushing out, there's no chance that we could be saved from this thing. It's too desperate. And there's actually four times in the Old Testament, there's four times in the Bible where it mentions this phrase, windows of heaven. And in other translations, it's translated floodgates of heaven. It, it kind of gives two pictures. Number one, the, the windows of heaven, it's almost like a, a sneak peek into heaven. When you open up a window, you kind of just get like a little look. If you go window shopping or, I don't know, maybe you go creep on people's houses. You know, you just can't quite see all the way in there. You just get a, a, a quick peek of what's going on so you don't see the full thing. So when the windows of heaven open, it's, it's not all of heaven. It's just part of heaven that's coming down. It's a glimpse, a, a little idea of what heaven could be like on earth. And the second thing, that floodgates of heaven, it's that concept that, that heaven is just bursting at the seam. It's just got so much, and, and if you just open up that window or open up that gate, I mean, everything's going to come bursting forth and invade your situation. So four times in the Bible, it mentions this, this idea of windows of heaven or the floodgates of heaven. And it's interesting because in these four times, two times, it talks about when the windows opened, blessing came out. And two times, talked about when the windows open, wrath came out, right? So there's God's blessing, God's wrath. So I'm really hoping like when the windows of heaven open up, I'm on the good side of it and not on the bad side. But let me, let me walk you through some of these passages here. The first one, when God's wrath poured out, Genesis chapter 7, uh, verse 12, it's on the screen. It says this, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, 
On that day, all the foundations of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven, of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So literally, what came out of heaven was a flood. Literally, the, the floodgates opened, the windows opened, and rain came down and covered the whole earth. Now, just beyond uh, these doors right over here, we've, we've got our preschoolers meeting, and they're meeting in the room called the Ark, all right? And if you go in there, you'll see this nice, friendly boat. It even has a slide. You know, it's really cool. Uh, love going in that room. It's got these friendly animals on the wall. They're bright and colorful. But let me assure you, that's not what the flood was like. It was not sunshine and rainbows over there. It was powerful. It was disastrous. It was violent. I mean, think about that. The windows of heaven opened and sent enough water to cover the entire face of the earth. That was a powerful event. That was a powerful event. It was a violent event. The windows of heaven were open. Now, thankfully, even in God's wrath, because mankind was so wicked at that point, they had rebelled against God. But, but even in God's wrath, when he was pouring out not just anger, but he was pouring out justice. He was really giving us what we deserved. But thankfully, even in his justice, he had mercy. And, and he spared Noah and his family and, and the animals on the ark, and we celebrate that time. God still showed mercy. But I want you just to think about the power and the scale of what can happen when the windows of heaven open. Just think about that. When the windows of heaven open, they are overwhelming. So much that it flooded the entire earth. So the captain is saying here that, that he didn't believe that even though when the windows of heaven opened before and it flooded the whole earth, that, that there wasn't enough to feed a city. There wasn't enough to take care of a city. There wasn't enough to, to rescue a city. And when you put it in those contexts, like God flooding the whole earth as compared to saving one, one city, just a small blip on the face of the earth, like it's kind of just like, you know, think about it a little bit, commander. This next passage from Isaiah is a prophecy about the great tribulation, about the end times. And the prophecy speaks to how God is going to punish the unrighteous, those who have chosen not to follow God, but to follow their own selfish desires. And I want you to watch how heaven opens up here. Isaiah 24, verse 17. Again, it's on the screen. It says this. This is not a pleasant verse, by the way. Let me warn you. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you. O inhabitant of the earth, he who flees at the sound of terror shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened and the foundations of the earth tremble. So this passage is saying when the, or when the windows of heaven open, it's inescapable. You can't get away from it. For those who, who did not follow God, it said that terror was going to strike them. If they escaped the terror, they were going to fall into the pit. If they escaped the pit, they were going to be caught into a snare. It was just inevitable. There was no escape. God's wrath was after them. Uh, the, the windows of heaven were open. The floodgates were open. And there was no way to escape what God was pouring out. There was no way to escape. There's no way you can run. It was inescapable. Now, again, even in the bad news here, the good news is that just as much as God's wrath can come out of the windows of heaven, so can God's blessing. Right? If God's wrath can come out of there, so can God's blessing. And it's going to come with the same power and the same intensity as his wrath poured out. Check this out. Malachi chapter 3, it says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Man, 
That's some good news right there. That is some good news. This is the only place in the Bible where God tells us to test him. He says, test me, tithe. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. For those of you uh, who are maybe new here, you've never heard of a tithe before. I had mentioned it earlier today. But a tithe is 10% of your income, of your earning, and bringing that to God. And God tells us, test me in this. Bring, bring your tithe. Bring all 10%. Give me the first fruits of what you have earned. And watch if I don't open the floodgates of heaven, if I don't open the windows of heaven and give you so much blessing that you cannot handle it anymore. Right? In the, the same way that the windows are open to bring God's wrath, they're open to bring God's blessing. The same way that his blessing was overwhelming and inescapable, that's the same way. Same way the wrath was, it's the same way the blessing is. His blessing is overwhelming and it's inescapable. When the windows of heaven open up, it is overwhelming and inescapable. You might think, like, all right, God, you said there's going to be so much blessing that I can't handle it, but I can handle a lot of blessing in my life, right? We could all use a little bit more blessing, wouldn't you say? Uh, I would agree. I would agree. I love blessing, uh, especially when it comes to uh, supper time. I've always got to have some dessert. Anybody with me on that one? Like, you just need some closure for that meal. And, and I just love, I love me some sugar. And I love chocolate especially. Love chocolate. I mean, I could, I could sit here and eat chocolate all day and not get sick of it. When I go to Dairy Queen, I order the, the chocolate extreme large blizzard because the more chocolate, the better. If it's my birthday, I want a chocolate cake or like a triple uh, or a chocolate pie. And then can we add some Oreos just to top it off, make it nice? You know, like I love chocolate. I love dessert. And uh, I remember that we do an Easter breakfast every year, or every year right? And, uh, and I'm kind of the guy in charge of it, which is kind of daunting and overwhelming because I'm not a cook, but I love to eat. So we, we make it work. And uh, so we were testing out French toast. And again, sugar, great time. What better way to have breakfast than French toast? And so we just really went over the top and we thought, you know what? We're going to make the best French toast anybody's ever tasted. It's going to be great. It's going to be incredible. So we went out and we bought all these different types of loaves of bread and we tried all these different ingredients, and I threw them all in the oven, and I tested out so many different recipes uh, of French toast, and it was glorious. The smell coming out of the kitchen, I wish you guys could have smelled it. It was great, and it was heavenly. And I go out there, and of course, you know, I, I made it, so I got to taste test this thing, because we got to find the right recipe and the right cooking time. And, and I ate French toast, and I ate French toast, and I sampled, and, and it, was, it was glorious. But the problem was, I ate so much, it made me sick. And by the time Easter breakfast rolled around and we made French toast, like, I couldn't even smell it anymore. Like, I was so, for the next year, no kidding, for the next year, I could not come close to French toast. It would make me sick because I had way too much blessing in my life that day. And what God is saying, he's going to pour out so much blessing on you if you're faithful to him, if you bring your tithe, uh, that he's going to pour out so much blessing, you can't handle it anymore. Like, you're going to be sick of blessing. You're going to say, God, stop blessing me. I can't have, the only thing you're going to be able to do is just give it away. That's the only thing, because God wants to open up the windows of heaven in your life. And we're about to see the fourth time that God opened up the windows of heaven. And, and again, that's continuing in our story. And in chapter 7, verse 3, we continue reading. Again, desperate time, desperate situation. There's no hope. It says this, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine, is going, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. 
So come, let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. You know, it's funny. No matter how much we pray, God never seems to answer the prayers the way we want them to be answered. You guys ever notice that? We, we pray these prayers and it's just like, God, why didn't you do it my way? My way sounded so much better, but he always does it his way. And, and he uses uh, unlikely situations and unlikely people to accomplish his goals. It, he never seems to pick the strongest or the best, but he seems to pick the, the outcast. He, he seems to pick the misfits to display his glory and power. And, and as I'm thinking through this situation, I'm trying to put myself, you know, if I was in the shoes of the people of the city and I was praying for God to rescue us, you know, I would probably be praying. I'd probably be thinking, you know, God, I've read before that you used to send down manna and quail, right? And they kind of got sick of it and they complained. I promise you, God, if you just send down some manna from heaven and some quail, we'll love it. It's way better than dove's dung and donkey head, right? Like, we'll take the manna. You know, maybe we're praying for that. Or, or maybe I'd be praying, God, you've sent down fire on people before. Send down your fire before, uh, fire again. Burn up that Syrian army. Or, or God, send an earthquake. Just swallow up that whole army and they'll be gone the next day. Or God, just like you sent David to conquer Goliath, would you send us a deliverer to come and, and do it again? Right? I'd be praying these big prayers. But instead, God didn't send a conqueror. He didn't send an earthquake. He didn't send a fire. He didn't send manna. He sent lepers. Right? Like, woo! Let's go! And, and, and so he, he sent four lepers, and, and they got to a point of desperation. They didn't have all the skills. They didn't have all the abilities. But you know what? They were willing to give up their lives. They were willing to sacrifice. And that's all God needs is someone who is willing. And so they looked at their lives, and they said, hey, if we stay here, we die. Right? Because the lepers, they were people who, I mean, they were the outcasts of society. They had this disease. They were unclean. They couldn't come close. They couldn't get towards other people. I mean, they were just kind of a death sentence. And they said, hey, if we stay here, we're going to die. We're going to run out of food. If we go out there, we might die too. But at least there's like a chance that we might live. So they, they were willing. They were willing. God used lepers. Church, never, under, never underestimate how God can use you. Never underestimate how God can use you. He didn't send the strongest. He didn't send the ones with the most resources. He sent the ones who were willing. See, some people, maybe you're new to the faith or, or maybe you're still kind of considering things and you're kind of checking it out and you're wondering, is this Jesus for me? And, uh, and you, you've considered, you know, should I give my whole life to Jesus? And you think that's going to be a big risk. Just like these lepers were thinking, man, it's going to be a big risk to go outside of the city. It's going to be a big risk. So maybe you're sitting there thinking this is going to be a big risk. I mean, your friends are looking at you like it's going to change, you know, the places you go. It's going to change the things you do, the things you say, uh, uh, the things you watch. Like your whole life is going to be different. Do you really trust Jesus with your whole life? Like what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't work out? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and God's called you to something big. You know, maybe God's called you to be a missionary and he wants you to uproot your family and take them to another country or another place. Maybe it's even a dangerous place and people are looking at you and saying, like, why would you do that? Why, why would you do? Why would you put your family in such danger? Why, why would you do that? Well, let me tell you, just like the lepers thought they were taking a, a risk. Just like you might think you're taking a risk this morning. There's no risk when it comes to putting your life in God's hands. There's no risk. 
God's never failed. He's never broken a promise. Really, the only risk is that we might start doubting and give up. But there's no risk when it comes to giving your life to God. There's no better place you can give it to. You're taking a risk by not giving your life to God. So these lepers, they thought, man, we're taking a big risk by going out into the city. But what they didn't know is that God was already there for them. God had already taken the risk into their hands. So let's see what happens when these men took a risk and they went into the enemy's camp. Verse 5 says this. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites, or the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. So these lepers, they risked their lives, and when they got to the enemy's camp, they realized there was no risk at all. God had gone before them. God had already fought the battle. He didn't use an earthquake. He didn't use fire. He didn't use a deliverer. He used the sound of a mighty army. And it's pretty cool how God did that because now that he used just the sound to defeat an enemy and they fled, they left all their stuff. They left all their supplies. They left all their tents. They left all the finest foods and all the, the animals, right? So they had all these things. And so the lepers, they, they went out there and they had a great time enjoying, you know, they didn't have to eat donkey's head anymore or dove's dung. It was a great time. They were enjoying the finest of the land. They go back and they, they tell the city and the city, at, at first the king's like, no, this is another trap. I know these guys, they like setting traps. And, and so they kind of were cautious, but eventually they realized that God had delivered the city. God had, had delivered them from the enemy. The windows of heaven were open and blessing came bursting out. The day before, they were hopeless, and they were buying the worst foods for extreme prices. Now today, they're overflowing with the finest foods and buying them for just pennies. They went from dry and empty to overflowing with more than they needed. Again, that's just the blessing of God. That's, that's what happens when the windows of heaven open, when we get a little glimpse of heaven on earth. So church, let me challenge you today. As we saw the lepers were faithful, as we saw earlier in that passage, when we're faithful with our tithe, that's when the windows of heaven open up in our lives. That's when God pours out his blessing. So is there something this morning that God is calling you to do? Is there something that is burning on your heart? Because if, if there is, then, then do it. Do it. Step out in faith. Maybe it's he, God's putting on your heart to share, share Jesus with a family member or a neighbor. Do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, just do it. And maybe it's God's put on your heart to take a new job and you just don't see how that makes sense financially. But if God's calling you to do it, step out in faith. Uh, maybe it's to help out a family in need, but you're thinking, I don't know if I have enough to make ends meet myself. Do it. God's going to bless you. God's going to open those windows of heaven. Maybe it's something crazy like uh, change up the whole family structure and adopt a child or foster a child and God's putting that on your heart. Don't wait. If God's calling you, do it do it. Maybe it's tithe. Maybe you've never tithed before and you're just not sure and that sounds crazy to you, but I challenge you, test God in that. He says we can test him. Step out in faith. Do it. Watch God's, the windows of heaven open. Maybe, again, you're being called to the mission field and you're just not sure and things don't seem to be lining up, but take a step of faith today. Follow God's call on your life because you can trust God with your life. You can trust God with your life. There's no better hands uh, for your life to be in than to be with God. Don't be afraid to step into God's will. It's not a risk. 
Again, it's not a risk. If God is calling you, then he's going to carry you through. He's going to be, go before you. He's going to fight the battle. And when you step out, you're going to be like, oh, this wasn't as bad as I thought. God's already here. God's with me. And, and the windows of heaven will be open. It's inescapable. It's overwhelming. It's more than you can handle. But let me also give you this, this little caveat, all right? A little disclaimer. When you follow God, it's not always going to feel like the windows of heaven are open. It's not always going to feel like everything is great. You're definitely going to have those moments of victory. God's blessings will come, but again, it may not be in the timing that you're, you're hoping for. It may not be the way that you hope for, just like that city. They, they never wanted to get in that position uh, of, of starving, of, uh, of feeling like they're going to die tomorrow. Like they, ne they never wanted to get in that position. But yet it was still God's timing. It was still God's will. And because they were faithful, because Elisha was faithful in that time, God opened up the windows of heaven and they experienced his blessing like never before. So there's going to be dry times, but we continue to trust in God because he's got a plan. He, he's got a plan and we continue to trust in God. See, the king and his captain, they lost faith in God and they began to doubt his plan and they began to doubt his strength. You know, could he do it? Would he even do it? And check out the, the end of their story in verse 16. It says this, Then the people went out and they plundered the camp of the Syrians, so that a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had anointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. So this is that, that commander who doubted God. And it says, And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. So because of the commander's doubt, just like Elisha had told him, just like he had told him from the word of God, you're going to see the windows of heaven open up, but you're never going to get to experience it. You're never going to get to taste it. All you're going to do is be able to see it because he had doubt, because he doubted God and, and warred against God and disobeyed God. He didn't get to experience the windows of heaven. Now, you might think this morning, well, yeah, he's the bad guy of the story. Of course the bad guy's going to die. Like, the good guy always wins in the end, right? Right? It's okay if we, we doubt and do all those things. But, but let me tell you another story of, about a hero of the faith, about Moses, right? Moses, he was a hero of the faith. Um, he, he led the Israelites through the wilderness. He led them to the promised land. Um, God do, did many mirac uh, miracles through him, and, and he did incredible things. He gave him the Ten Commandments. He heard from God. So, so many things, like Moses was the man. But yet, one time, God told Moses, I want you to go up and I want you to speak to that rock and water is going to come out of it. And Moses thought, you know what? I've done this before, God, and last time I took my staff and I struck it and water came out, right? Now, naturally, this doesn't happen, but supernaturally, it does. And so he said, I got this. And he doubted God and he doubted that he should follow God's call and he disobeyed him. He didn't speak to the rock. Instead, he struck it. Water came out still. But uh, God told him from that moment on, you're never going to get to go into the promised land. The thing that you've been waiting your whole life for, you're never going to get to experience it. You're only going to get to see it. And this was a man of faith. This was, this was a hero of our faith. And, and so at the end of his life, God brought him up and he got to peer in to the promised land, but he never got to go in because he doubted and he disobeyed. Doubt can creep in even on the greatest heroes of faith. We need to continue to trust God even in the dry even in the difficult, even in the desperate times. Church, we need to trust in God. We need to trust in him. Before we close this morning, I want to 
just pose one more, one more idea to you. Right on this day in history, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, the windows of heaven were open for one day. The windows of heaven were open for one day, and they got to experience that blessing uh, again. Now they got the finest foods again, and, and it was great. But the windows of heaven were only open for one day. But today is different. Today, again, this is the idea I want to get in your minds today is that because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus rose again, the windows of heaven are open today. They're open every day because of the work that God did on the cross. It was incredible. It was incredible. And heaven and earth collided in that moment. And Jesus broke all the rules. He tore down all the doors. He, he flung the windows. He flung the floodgates wide open. And if we go to him, the windows of heaven are open. Check out Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, God has blessed us in Christ through Christ's work. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Again, heaven and earth collided because of what Jesus did on the cross because Jesus rose again. And all the rules were broken. And now heaven is waiting to pour out on your life. And it's a much better blessing than just food or fine flour or even chocolate. It's even better than that. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. And another thing in the story, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you've experienced this blessing, you've experienced this joy, this freedom, this forgiveness, this eternal life that we have in heaven with Jesus, then you are just like one of the lepers in this story who went out and you found this bountiful treasure, all this food. We're just like them. We're experiencing the windows of heaven unlike people have ever gotten to experience before, unlike they got to experience. And it said when the lepers found the food, it said that they threw a big party, right? They didn't go tell the city right away. They went and they threw a big party for themselves. They ate all the food that they could. I mean, they were probably sitting there sick to their stomachs because of everything they just ate. I mean, it was a great time. But eventually, after a while, they started feeling guilty. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 7, it says this, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. Church, the windows of heaven are open and we can't keep it to ourselves, right? We're sitting here just like the lepers and we've got so much. Again, we've got God's grace. We've got his mercy and, and we can't keep it to ourselves. It's too much blessing. We need to go tell the world because let me tell you, right? The city of Samaria, they were sitting there and they were surviving on, on gross food. But you know what? We've got a city who has been surviving their whole lives on nothing. They don't even know what it's like to have fine food in life. Metaphorically speaking, they, they've been eating donkey head and dove's dung their whole life. And we have the responsibility to let them know the windows of heaven are open and we can do something about it. And you can experience life like you've never experienced it before. And it's our responsibility. It's our duty to go and tell our cities, to go and tell our town, to go and tell our world, hey, Jesus came and he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. And you can have life like never before. You can have eternal life. Church, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to tell them. Now, I, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what battle that you're facing. But I know that life can come at you pretty hard. I mean, it does. One day, everything's going great. I mean, it only takes one moment 
and your whole life can just come crashing down. Everything that you thought was solid ground begins to crumble. And it might feel like the enemy has you surrounded. But no matter how great of an enemy you're facing, no matter how big the size of the battle, we serve a much, much bigger God. We serve a much, much bigger God. So no matter what enemy, we, we serve the God who sent a flood across the entire earth. So if you think that God can't handle your problem, you're wrong. The windows of heaven can open and can flood your life. I mean, even, even the scale of the flood, that sounds huge to us. But then think for a moment, we also serve the God who created the galaxies and the universe. And in the scale of that, like a little tiny flood on earth seems pretty insignificant. And when you break it down to now, our issues and our problems and our sicknesses, man, God's so much bigger. God's got this. So we need to wait on him. We need to trust him with our lives. The windows of heaven are open. He has given us every spiritual blessing. So let's step into it. If you're fighting a battle this morning, if you're fighting a battle this morning, then I'm going to challenge you to come to this altar and find a place to get alone with God and, and fight that battle on our knees. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And, and we're just going to close with a song this morning. Again, we're going to, we're going to open up uh, these altars because I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you some time just to seek after God. He's our deliverer. He, he's our confidence. And he's never lost a battle. He's never lost a fight. And we can trust in him. We can trust that he, he's got this. He's bigger than our situation. He's bigger than our needs. And I just want to pray that the windows of heaven would open in your life, that it would come flooding in. And you'd have so much blessing that you don't know what to do with it that you wouldn't be able to contain it, that it would be, be ready to flow out into your neighbors, into your family, into every person that you come into contact with because you got so much, you can't even handle it anymore. And many would come to know Jesus. Many would come to receive that same blessing this morning. So we trust him even in the dry times. We trust God. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. Worship team, thank you for leading us this morning just going to sing a, a song and close and, and, and again as feel free to be dismissed but I encourage you find a time at these altars if you've never experienced the life saving power of Jesus I'd love to pray with you come find me at these altars I'd love to talk with you and answer any questions you might have and just get to pray with you because God wants to welcome you into his kingdom today so let's pray this morning and then again, you can find a place at these altars. You can sing along with us. Again, you can dismiss whenever you're ready. But let's pray. Jesus, God, thank you for fighting our battles. God, thank you that you use unlikely, do, unlikely people to do incredible things. And God, thank you that the windows of heaven are open. God, they're inescapable. They're overwhelming. And God, we need more of you today. We can't live off of yesterday. We need more today. So we come to you with our struggles. We come to you with our pain. We come to you with our heart. And, and God, we pray that you would do what only you can do. God, change our situations around overnight. May we not doubt, but may we have faith and believe. We run to you in these dry times. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go after God together, church. So when I fight, I'll fight on